Do you remember where you were when Microsoft's hit shooter franchise, Halo, debuted back in 1999? Okay, so maybe that's not the kind of memory most of us can immediately identify. But I do remember when one of my roommates back then brought home this thing called an Xbox. And suddenly, in our house, with five single guys, it was all Halo all the time. <laughs> hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host for The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. You know, it's been more than 20 years now since Microsoft upended the video gaming world with its then-new Xbox console. Sega, if you can remember Sega, mm -hmm. actually still had a pulse, and Nintendo had just dropped the Borg-like GameCube. And Sony's PlayStation, well, it was only on version 2. Fast forward a couple of decades, and Sony and Microsoft are still going head-to-head, -head with Nintendo carving out a more family-friendly niche with the handheld Switch system. Both Sony and Microsoft recently announced their next generation of gaming consoles, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X, neither of which strike me as particularly imaginative names, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. I wasn't invited to the naming focus group. Oh, well, maybe next time. So today we're going to be talking about what we can expect from those new systems, as well as what parents need to know about video gaming in a more general sense as we begin to, you know, close in on the second half of 2020. Joining me for our conversation today are... Bob Hoos. Emily Clark. And Jonathan McKee. Okay. Well, what was the first video game console you ever owned? Or maybe if you were too poor, your best friend owned and you had to glom onto that. <laughs> and what was your favorite game to play on it? So mine was definitely a Nintendo 64. And it was Tetris. And the reason being because... You know, there's always that joke about how you know you were a second sibling if you played Luigi in Mario Brothers. Well, you know you were a third sibling if you didn't even get to play Mario Brothers. And I'm not you were a, a Mario sister. A, it, well, <laughs> I was a third child is what oh, I was. Well, and I'm not alone. I was speaking to a fellow third child just last night who basically admitted the same thing, <laughs> that they were the third child and they never got to play Mario Brothers. They played Tetris. You well, but around here you're our Princess Peach. I'm okay oh. with that. I embrace it. <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking about it and thinking, okay, is it the Atari 2600 or mm. maybe the Sega Genesis? But if I really think about my first gaming, I don't know if it's really a console, but it would be the little Pong machine. Pong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Way back when. That was the very first thing I had, and it only played one game. Pong. 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 That was Hence it. the name. That's right. <laughs> I wonder how many lines of resolution that little dot had. I think it was maybe three. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that dot was pretty good. It was yeah. like, was it more of a square or a circle? If I'm not really sure. If you got close enough, you could you see that it was not Gosh, quite you guys a circle. Are old. <laughs> how many, no oh, how many <laughs> pixels? In okay. logical time, though, it's just so, a blank. So here's the thing. I'm wondering, okay, so listeners, remember, you can always email us at team at thepluggedinshow.com because I'm curious if any of you guys even know of this game system okay <laughs> pong. hey I, this is post pong my first game system was odyssey yeah it was oh, magnavox yeah. right do you remember that yeah. yeah it had a keyboard what? there was a store that had one and <laughs> yeah. i would go to the store and play the odyssey system in 
the Magnavox store. I don't think Magnavox even exists uh, yeah, anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, this thing this thing was like a smartphone. It had a keyboard. It was awesome. Yeah. It was, uh, and it had these games, and it was funny. The games were like knockoffs. Instead of Pac-Man, it had Casey Munchkin, okay? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. it's like this little munchy guy who goes and munches these little dots. It's like hard to figure out what version. they were. You know, you're like, games. oh, mm, what is that? You know, but no, I had Odyssey, which was kind of, sad because like all my friends had Atari 2600 you know yeah. and they would trade the games and like I remember we talked in an earlier podcast how much I loved Adventure where you were a dot and you used to kill a dragon that looked like a duck and I wanted <laughs> I wanted so bad turns out to, it feels like a, a it, lot like the rest of our lives yeah, right? Yeah, exactly <laughs> I wanted to play Atari but I had Odyssey and so I had one friend who had Odyssey and we would switch games back and forth a little bit hey do you do you want to trade Casey Munchkin for you know whatever <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, so Odyssey, oddball out, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. I did. Well, yeah. mine is perhaps not quite that obscure, um, but it's in the neighborhood. I had a Mattel in television. Oh, yeah. oh those were awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's amazing that my thumbs still function because they had the controller was this little disc, the thing. disc thing. Yeah, and I I would seriously get blisters on my thumb <laughs> from doing the discs. That's you know, dedication, around right like the around. song "Pac Man Fever," right? Yeah. Only more Mattel-ish, yeah. I guess. Uh, and, and television was good. That was kind of around us. It was like the rich people had in television. <laughs> there you so, go. So that's not really the way I remember it, but, <laughs> but it, it was sort of the the oddball alternative to the twenty six hundred. Yeah. I actually never had an Atari, but my best friend Joe and I each had an Intellivision, and. I, come to think of it, I don't know how we got blisters because the main game we played was Sea Battle, which was sort of vaguely Risk esque, mm -hmm. yeah. sort of. Um, so that was mine until my little brother put a cartridge in backwards one day <laughs> and, and ruined the whole. <laughs> that thing. was the, the end. The graphics of it. were better on Intellivision. They were. As a matter of fact, when you played the game tennis on Intellivision, the audience's eyes would go back and right. forth, and you were like three oh, this. pixels. Back it was like yeah, and forth. <laughs> but it was like the coolest thing ever. Honestly, Intellivision was like yeah. you know what we yearned to have but did not have. Well, and that was really the beginning of a time when video games began to move from arcades right. yeah. into the home. And I remember when the Atari 2600 came out, it was just, it was revolutionary. Yeah. It's like, you mean I can hook this up to our giant CRT TV and play a game? I, yeah, the 19-incher, <laughs> that's what we had. And, and with each generation of games they closed the gap between the arcade games. I mean, early on, there was no comparison. The arcade games yeah. were still king. Yeah. Uh, and somewhere along the line, the arcade stuff just sort of became a novelty. It almost yeah, became right. a, a throwback to the way it used to sure, be. Sure. Even and, more expensive because you were exactly. cranking quarters out every, exactly. every time you went yeah. to. Uh, yeah. And with each generation of games, they have become more realistic and I think more story-oriented. Mm -hmm. And it just continues to evolve. And, and so what it does is it's inviting consumers into, I think, an ever more immersive narrative environment, mm -hmm. both with the sophistication of the stories, uh, the sophistication of the graphics. You know, you put a pair of VR goggles on, and now you're really entering the world at a different level. Uh, and I think you can make the case that in some ways – it's one of the most immersive kind of entertainment experiences that we can have. So whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality or these incredibly realistic images and movie-like stories, 
I think it's safe to say video games are a quantum leap from the crude 8-bit images or maybe 2-bit images <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> of Pong yeah. that some of us started out with back in the day. So we're going to take another big leap with PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. And Bob, yep. you recently wrote an article for Plugged In about the next generation of video game consoles. So let's start here. What's the basic skinny on these two machines, and, and what do parents really need to know about what's coming? Right. Well, first of all, they'll probably want to know that it's coming out this fall, which is coincidence right around the holiday season and so, so weird yeah. so they're gonna have a, probably some young people or maybe a husband uh, who's really <laughs> begging 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 that we can have this this new system one of these new systems in our house and if you're not a gamer you may be thinking well don't we already have one in there or maybe right. two don't we have two systems in there what do we need a new one to for? hook up to the magnavox that's right <laughs> what do we need a new uh gaming system for and and that's the thing these these brand new ones are truly a new world, a new okay. world. We don't know mm. a lot about them, but the things that we have learned about them are startlingly different from what we've already had. So it's more of a, a revolutionary jump than an evolutionary yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good way to put Ooh. it. Um, the And here's why. Because these things have the processing power of... A mega computer, and and just to just to give you an idea, the new ones, the the new PS5 can handle 10.3 teraflops, Gigawatts. and and <laughs> the Xbox <laughs> X series can handle 12 teraflops in its in its uh, processing uh, graphic. What does that mean for unit. somebody who's never and, flopped and that if much? If you've never even heard of a flop before, a flop <laughs> is is essentially a floating point operation per second. It's a, a metric of computational performance, and that means absolutely nothing to most people. Right, keep um, going. But it, it, means, it means working with little teeny, 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 tiny numbers and big, huge numbers all at the same time and, and in mass. And so um, if you think of them, think of a flop as an instruction, where you give a computer an instruction. And, when, and to give you a context... Back when computers first started coming out and we had the little PC in our home, they usually processed maybe about 93,000 instructions per second. Okay. And Which the, seems like a lot. Yeah, but it's not. Right. Because nowadays, like a laptop, our average laptop will maybe have 800 billion instructions per second. Wow. And when you're talking about a teraflop, you're talking about a trillion instructions per second. So so now these new... These new uh, Game consoles are going to have anywhere from 10 to 12 trillion instructions per second that they're processing. Now, what does that mean? It means that what you can do is create these amazing graphics. And I mean, I, I, the, the one blog that I did was uh, talking about the new, uh, new gaming engine from Epic Games. Uh, it's the new Unreal Engine 5. And uh, and in that blog, I was talking about uh, actually linked to a a demonstration video of hmm. of the images that they could create. And it what, really is unreal. It's it well really named is because now they can in a video game because the video games in the past, let's face it, if they had images of people, they looked a little plastic, you know, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and their movements were a little bit herky jerky, even with the latest consoles. But uh, but in this new thing with these with this with all these gazillions of flops in there uh, they could create these images and and work with light in such a way that it looks 
it looks very, very lifelike, very, very realistic. And you can walk into a dark cave, for example. You know, you were talking about the adventure games. Walk into a dark cave, and you can actually see things in the shadows. Where, wow. where in, in video games now, you usually is just black or you've got light. And, and the other cool aspect about it is that these things are so realistic, these new, this new gaming engine and the new gaming engines that will be involved with these uh, consoles. And they're working with the new TVs, too, which have the resolution say, right, to match, well, yeah, right? Yeah, we've got the 4K TVs, the 8K TVs, and these are designed specifically for that, where you've got all these gazillions of pixels in a, in a, in a TV frame. Like with an 8K TV, you've got 33 million pixels on your screen, and these can handle all those. Hmm. Think and how give good you, Pong is going to look, That's man. right, that's right. There it goes again. But that's see, the, you know, I was talking about the Unreal Engine. The cool thing about that is that they're even using that. I just read a report last week they're using that in movies now they're going to be using that game engine to create movie uh, graphics yeah exactly graphics and cgi and like for the mandalorian series they're they've they've been using the unreal 5 engine wow and that's the kind of thing that they're going to be able to do and so what does it mean for you at home that was my next question no thank you for asking well asked (laughs) That, that, that means that um the images you see now are going to be so much more realistic. Now, you might say, well, so what? It's a big, who's, what does that matter? But think about it. If you had a bloody game with the current system that, used, that uses 1.3 teraflops, and then you jump it up 10 times, and next thing you know, you've got this bloody scene that can be so realistic that it no longer looks like just a game. But it looks like something that you'd see in a, a bloody film. So it's closer to a movie like an R-rated reality. Film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and you've got that kind of reality that is going to impact kids when they're if they're playing M-rated games. Mm. And you've also got you you were talking about immersion. Mm-hmm. When you can step into a game that looks so realistic and so lifelike, it really does make a difference in how you identify with what's going on around you. And especially if you go into virtual reality, you put on those headfo- headsets, they're going to be able to do some amazing things with this. Not we're, not like they're doing now. Right now we've got virtual reality that still looks a little bulky when you're in there mm-hmm. and, and you're looking around and, and things are moving. I probably will still get sick either yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. You, they're moving and you're getting a little seasick. But with this new version, with the new processing power and the graphics, it's going to be amazing. Well, it's really interesting, too, because uh, when you look at how gaming affects young people, you know, there's obviously sometimes there's been parents that are like, wait a sec, my son spends all day playing Fortnite or, you know, you know, name some game that they like. Um, and what do I do about this? Should I be concerned? And it's interesting because as we've talked about in previous podcasts, a lot of the debate between these researchers right now is you know what kind of screen time is is affecting young people and hurting them and and this research came out recently that we mentioned on an earlier podcast that said hey really be concerned about social media with your daughters but this other screen time really when it comes to the mental health of our teenagers um isn't as much as a concern. Now, the interesting thing is when you start talking about the physical health like obesity all of a sudden gaming comes up big time because (laughs) we get people that all they're doing is sitting around playing games instead of going out and playing a real game, you know? So it is interesting. They they might get up for a bag of chips. Yeah, they do. They do get up for a (laughs) bag of chips. They do because I find the wrappers right next to the (laughs) And a two-liter, you know? But the thing is, um, 
one of the things that I find interesting about is because as I was looking at social media and the effect it's having on young people, one of the conversations is always dopamine. And, um, you know, dopamine is chemical in the brain that, that basically says, hey, you're going to like this. And some people kind of mistake and think that dopamine is this thing that, oh, no, dopamine is this thing that, that when you're watching something you like, it makes you feel good. No, dopamine's kind of more of the, you're going to like this. It's an anticipation of this is going to be good. Yeah. And people, the, the example they like to use a lot is slot machines. It's you're going to sit down there and you're like, okay, maybe I'm going to win. And the dopamine starts going. Um, when you talk about young guys and pornography, dopamine's a huge thing because it's like, um, hey, look what I'm about to see. And you start to get excited. And so before they even click on something, it's it kind of helps that temptation, that temptation of, I want to click on this because the dopamine is going, yep, yep, yep. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. And with video gaming, the dopamine releases are off the charts. It's one of those things where, Hey, what's next. And so when you add all these new graphics, this is, this is unresearched territory. It's going to be interesting to see how that's going to affect the brain. Because right now, honestly, moms and dads, I wouldn't be too concerned if your kids are playing video games this isn't like oh no this is awful this is terrible research out there isn't saying this is really bad stuff what they're saying is like everything make sure that they're not having too much of this if all they do is play video games yes you should be concerned if they do not go outside be concerned you know it's probably good to throw some limits on that but so it sort of basically gets back to you know, the old saw of moderation and everything. Absolutely. You know, as opposed to we have to have this strict, hard and fast rule. It's, you know, where's the balance here? Well, and the one thing I would say is because of what dopamine does with the brain and the anticipation of, um, the American Academy of Pediatrics forever has been saying no screens in the bedroom. And they've also with older kids been saying, Hey, watch the screen time just before you go to bed. And one thing that's interesting about video games is video games tend to, and I'll just in layman's terms use, I'll say amp you up yeah, because you're so excited about what's next. So it'd probably be good for moms and dads to be able to say, Hey, enjoy your game time. That's great. But I'll tell you what, the hour before we go to bed, that'd be a good time for us to read. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, speaking of amping you up, these games are going to be so much more immersive and so much more visually stimulating that that's going to be what's going to happen. I mean, we're going to end up with a lot of kids that are are seeing these uh, images and being impacted by these games in ways they haven't been before. Well, and Bob, you're our our resident video game expert. I'm going to make a statement and then ask you to comment on it. Is it fair to say that video games in general are moving toward movies in content across the board. Like we often talk about violence, but increasingly M rated games can have really graphic sexual stuff too, which I think even though that trend has been happening for a long time now, I think it still comes as a surprise to parents. We still have this sort of old school, well, there was no sex in Pac-Man, you know, why is it happening here? And talk about that for just a minute. I think we are seeing more sexuality. Uh, To be honest, that is one of the areas in games that, has been limited somewhat, where you haven't seen as much as you might expect from a, a very immersive entertainment. You, you you were talking about entertainment uh, forms and and how video games are so immersive. Let's face it; one of the reasons is that you've got uh, the difference between a two-hour movie and a forty-hour game, right? Or a hundred-hour, yeah, game. where you're in there for days or weeks, and and that can, that can be really immersive. But as far as the sexuality. 
we haven't seen as much. We've seen some nudity in there, and we've seen some allusion to sexuality, but games, fortunately, have sort of held the reins a bit on that area. But you never know with this with this new kind of reality. Who knows? It, it seems like like in the past, I know for gamer, and I I not the game reviewer that you are, Bob. Man, you I you're you're my go to guy. I ask about this stuff, but I remember when parents used to ask me, and 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 the research we did, you know occasionally they would come along like one of the Grand Theft Autos. And of yep. course, it would yep. always go there, not only in violence, but also in sensuality and, and nudity and that kind of right. stuff. But it did seem kind of like the oddball. It didn't seem like that was the right. norm. That was the one... Well, even you, even with Grand Theft Auto, you know, they would have some sexual interludes, but generally be off camera. Yeah, right. And so they wouldn't take us in there, thankfully. But what they did was still bad enough. Although the uh, most recent one, which actually has been years ago now, had the thing where you could go in and type in the code, and kids started talking about that. Right. And then yeah. you could go into the secret room yeah. where then yeah. all of a sudden there was the nudity veil. So it is interesting that even though the mainstream one was definitely, like you said, implied, like, you know, people in a car and the car's shaking up sure. and down so you don't see what's going right. on. But yet they had these secret rooms. So that was kind of, that was the buzz when that game came out. Well, that, and that's the thing. There have been little little steps in the direction and I think uh, this is only going to open the door for yeah. more. You know, when we talk about video games, it's often from a kind of a cautionary stance. And certainly as we have talked about, there are things that are worthy of that caution. But I want to flip things around a little bit. Do you think the arrival of these new systems will offer families some positive new opportunities to enjoy gaming together? And if so, what might that look like? So in my personal opinion, I think that the more advanced the graphics get, the more, the faster your download speeds get, the more time you're getting in front of the screen and the more immersive the experience feels, which can be a positive thing if it's done with boundaries. And it okay. can really, it's kind of like when you watch a movie or read a book or something, if you're, do, if you're experiencing it together as a family, it can actually be a really fun, immersive experience that you do together and you have so much fun doing it. Again, it just, I think it just, it comes with those boundaries. Like, hey, we're only going to do this for X amount of minutes or hours or whatever your family's time limit is. And we're only going to do it at this time of day or on these days of the week that way you know we're not taking away from things that maybe are a little bit more valuable mm -hmm. to our family having these new consoles come out might be a good introduction point for a lot of families that know gaming is coming but they haven't really gotten involved with it themselves that much and when i when i say no gaming is coming uh the entertainment software association just came out with a poll for the 2020, and they were saying that um, that there are 75% of households that now that have video game consoles, and 70% of all kids, all kids play video games. Mm. So if you've got kids, most likely they're going to be heading toward video games in one form or another oh, yeah. somewhere. Right. And so this might be a, a perfect time to sort of introduce the games and bring the kids in with you playing too, a mom or a dad, because if you're in there and you're guiding the path forward, then you can introduce fun family games and not some of these M-rated things. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and, man, I and our listeners probably remember me saying this because I, I, it, I mean, how many times have we said this? 
you know, this is yet another opportunity for moms and dads to connect with their kids. And personally, it's funny when you started this podcast, you mentioned Halo. Um, (laughs) My son, because of his age, he was, you know, born in 93. uh, By the time he was a teenager, Halo was like, Halo was huge. It was huge. And every team on it. And in any church, the debate was, Am I going to let my kid play this game? It's kind of violent. And honestly, some parents were like, no, it's violent. Others are like, hey, it's like Space Invaders with better graphics. Yeah. You know, and a, a lot better. I, I, <laughs> opt, I opted to let my kid play it mm-hmm. um, because it was blowing away aliens, not each other, unless you went into that one mode. And, right. um, and I got to tell you, honestly, some of the best connections I had with my son was when I would go in and instead of saying, hey, how much time do you have left on your game console, jumping in with the rules, was instead concentrating on the relationship and saying, hey, can I play? Show me. And we would sit there and play together and he was always just laughing at me because I was terrible. And, uh, you know, but it was fun. We had yeah. a moment and I know- The I covenant mean, came for you every time. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I was terrible. But I mean, and now you, uh, Adam, you got kids in the house right now. Don't yeah. you have great time bonding with your kids? I do, that? yeah. And- it's not over a next gen console, and I've talked about this before. And we downloaded Pokemon Go in 2016, <laughs> and I honestly can't believe we're still playing this silly game together because there's not much Neither to can it. Anyone else, right? <laughs> I appreciate your prayers, Emily. <laughs> but the amount of time I have spent with my son, actively walking um, and playing together. It has been an incredible relational bridge uh, and friendly competition. We both get mad at the other one when somebody gets something awesome. Now, obviously, that's mobile apps are not the primary focus of our conversation today. But I think it's easy to look at video games as sort of the enemy. And certainly there are things that you need to be really cautious about. And I think we've talked about those. But... Uh, I do think there is an opportunity here to relate. And the other thing is, um, even though trying to be the cool family is always fraught with all kinds of peril, Hmm. I would rather have kids in my own house and be communicating with parents about what's happening there and know what's happening than maybe have them going over to somebody else's house where I don't know what's going on. So I'm not a control freak, but if I can be the house (laughs) where kids come my family and I have the opportunity to be a positive influence in their lives as well. Right. And that carries on into their teen years too. All of the things you guys were just saying about introducing kids to games and, and having that sort of touchstone of sorts with them, that, that entertainment and that connection. And as they move into their teen years that I found that that was a very easy way for me to connect with my teen son Hmm. was by, we had these games in common and we knew we knew the limitations and we could talk about what was a good game or a bad game that sort of thing but we could also talk while we were playing about things he might be dealing with because it was it was a way of relaxing past having a face to face with with dad you know because so cool. we're playing a game and just talking hmm. well video games aren't going anywhere and if you have a family and children especially if you have boys although i know girls play too. Thank you. Uh, uh, This is an issue that you're going to have to grapple with. And I hope as we have talked about sort of the state of the union on games today, that it has been an encouragement for you to understand how important it is to be engaged, 
uh, to think through boundaries, but also maybe to think through ways that you can creatively engage with your kids uh, in this area of their lives, because man, it, it is a big one for kids today. And we would also love to hear about your experience and your family's experience with video games. What role have video games played as your kids have grown up? Uh, do they offer a place of shared entertainment together? Are they a source of conflict or maybe something in between? Shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com and share your thoughts. And if you'd like to learn more about the next generation of video game consoles, be sure to check out Bob Hoos's excellent article on the Plugged In blog, The New Gaming Consoles Will Be Here Soon. Are you ready for them? Likewise, Jonathan McKee's book, Guy's Guide to the Four Battles Every Young Man Must Face, aims to help adolescent guys win our culture's constant battle against distraction. And today, for a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Focus on the Family, we'll send you a copy of that book as our way of saying thank you. You'll find information about both resources on the episode page for today's show. So check them out. Thanks again for listening today. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week for another episode of The Plugged In Show. The Plugged In Show.